Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of What Most People Think. How are you? How are you? I'm going to take a guess. I'm going to take a big stab in the dark here. But, um, actually, this was the hardest week. Yeah, it was really tough. You know, there were bits in the beginning of it where the drinking was fun, you know what I mean, the takeaway. But this week, yeah, I um, that relationship that I have at home that, you know, usually is a source of solace was actually the biggest obstacle to my happiness. <laughs> well, I hope, look, I, mean, I, I think this will be go down as the, the toughest week. The toughest week, right? But um, I, I'm sorry for this coming a couple of days late, by the way. But this is one of the benefits of the Patreon, right? Is that I now, I've got to deliver this thing weekly. I think that's a good thing. I'll be honest. If I've had the technology technology issues, the way that I say technology, by the way, is an insight into my competence in the area. But if I'd had the same ones without a Patreon, I'd have said, fuck that. And right now, as I'm recording this on Sunday morning, I would have probably been eating another bacon roll. But here I am. Here I am. I'll explain to you. Uh, that might be a good point, actually, to thank the patrons. Thank you to everybody that's signing up uh, for that. Um, so we give a shout out to the VIP patrons in the first section. Uh, Lorraine Smith-Lee. Tarquin Shipley, and that is I. That those sound like VIP names. You sound like you got money. You are guaranteed incomes. Lorraine Smithley and Tarquin Shipley. Thank you. This is the trickle down effect. In effect, people. All right, those that have spreading their largesse and making sure that someone like me doesn't welsh on his uh, responsibilities. And there was also Neil Geddes, an email that I just noticed a minute ago. Thank you very much for that, uh, Neil. Now the technology issue that I had this week was that I got scammed. I am absolutely gutted. I'm so embarrassed, right? But this is what happened was, and, and the reason I'm going to tell you is partly a warning, is that we've had problems with our Sky router, right? And we've literally been on the phone like the previous day, and then this guy rang up uh, from an Indian call center, and he said, I hear you've having problems with your Sky router. I was like, yes, I am having problems with my Sky router. He's like, would you like to fix it once and for all? Yes, I would. And so because I thought it seemed so natural that they would call me and get this sorted i sort of shut down certain filters that i normally would as it went on i started to get a bit sus and he asked to install something on my laptop and i know right now you go oh you idiot no car you you never install something on the laptop what can i say this guy was good right this guy was good he was good at what he did and i um you know but then i was also having this thing where he seemed like a chancer Right, but then I was thinking, oh, is that this is the worst thing about some liberal orthodoxies? Is that I then start to think, oh, is that racist? And then I was having this argument in my head, so I didn't follow my gut instinct. But he, he fucking scammed me. He didn't get any money, mind, because towards the end of it, I realised what was going on, and I actually tried to, I tried to like double bluff him just to see if I could get definite confirmation it was a scam. But this guy was good, mate. He said, uh, I said to him, I'll, I'll, I said, should I give you my bank details just to make this a bit quicker? He went, no, 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 I'd never ask you for your bank details. And um, But then what he'd basically done is he planted stuff on my computer and wanted to not just have my bank details once, but for the rest of my life, right, to keep scamming me. This guy, he was good. I respect a good criminal. 
I was. It's like I had my um, I had my uh, my iPhone nicked off me once by one of those um, one of those uh, moped gangs, right? And as well as wanting to basically go fucking Robocop on them, uh, I also had to admire the deftness with which it was done. I mean, literally, they just glided past me. The guy, as he took it off me, he didn't even make contact with me. He did it so well that my earphones popped out all gently, and they they were off. They were, <laughs> and there was a part of me thinking, you know, I was going to hang them and flog them, and I was also going, these kids are good. Could we not put that to... I bet he's a tremendous lover, you know, with a tight touch, touch that light. <laughs> this Today we've got coming up in the show, we've got Constantine kissing. So thanks to him because I kept moving the goalpost because I thought, kept thinking I was going to get my laptop sorted out and um, I wasn't. But he's going to be on the show. He's going to be talking about, he's me phoning in. So remember that with the sound quality before you all give me grief. You know, this is the new normal, right? Which is another way of companies that we'll be using for the next five years of excusing the fact that they've let staff go and they're now shit at what they do. This is the new normal. And he's going to be discussing it. He had a tweet went viral. Now, I know I don't want this podcast to become too kind of Twitter central, but it was, uh, he had a sort of a, ref- a long, uh, like a thread where he was reflecting on why faith in pol- um, journalists seemed to be on the decline. There was one poll that showed that it had dropped exponentially. There was another that said that it wasn't quite as bad for the sake of... Um, uh, balance, right? Even right wingers, I do balance, mate. I do balance. I would have a career without fucking balance. Um, but I'm going to get him on. I'm going to talk about that. We can talk about numbers in Russia because uh, Konstantin is a filthy communist dissident or something. Um, so looking forward to having him on the show. And uh, yeah, it's just been a couple of things from from this week that I, I wanted to share with you. Is I don't know if you saw. Um, I think it was Layla Evans, the Liberal Democrat. Is she the leader now? I mean, like, no, I, I should be gemmed up on my politics, but simultaneously, I don't feel that embarrassed about not knowing whether or not she's the leader of the Liberal Democrats. I'm not sure Liberal Democrats know this at this point. But she, um, there, was, there was a couple of Lib Dem MPs did this, was that they were fasting for Ramadan. <laughs> I'll just give you a minute to um, to take that on. I mean... Like, so it wasn't just that they were doing it, right? And it wasn't just that, as I pointed out in the previous podcast, there are these politicians on the left, and I include the Lib Dems in that because they're coming, becoming frequently, uh, they're becoming much more radical, um, is that they, you know, they will, they will really get into the Ramadan thing but completely gloss over St George's Day. Now, I'm not equating them. I know one's a national day, one's a religious, um, a religious event. But why not, why not just get into both? Do you know what I mean? It's just it's just political good sense. But a couple of Lib Dem MPs took it that bit further and they were fasting for Ramadan. But, and this was the joyous thing, was that they weren't just doing it, they were doing it badly. And they were sort of managed... One of them had said, because uh, obviously you could, I think you can eat in the morning when you're fasting, like early in the morning. And um, they were having a plate full of potatoes and bacon. Now I would say, just from what I'm, my limited knowledge of the Islamic faith, is that that is not... That is not really fully getting on side with the spirit <laughs> of things. And and then it, I think Layla Evans did it. I mean, that is like, my God. That I was, well, I was going to say, I was going to say that is like, you know, a Christian saying, oh, I just, I, I just nailed myself to a fucking cross for Easter. But um, I suppose, isn't giving up things for Lent, isn't that supposed to be like the equivalent of suffering? You know, Jesus was left to slowly die on a cross. And, you know... We stopped smoking for a month. That 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 feels every bit as um, <laughs> every bit as sacrificial. But uh, but the the worst thing what it about was like you know the way that modern modern middle class liberals are. She she seemed to make it sound like some sort of um, keto diet. Do you know what I mean? Like you could tell that that was the way that most of them were coming into it. They were saying, oh yeah, you know, Ramadan Mubarak, and they just enjoy saying these things because they feel part of something 
bigger and more exotic and more uh, credible than themselves. But really, what it is is they're just trying to shed a few pounds. You know, that's what I think happened with Layla. She's been on lockdown like the rest of us, subject to the same muscle wastage that the rest of us have had. You know, she's been getting on the scales, noticing that she's losing weight but getting fatter like the rest of us. And then she thought, how can I signal some serious virtue and tone up a little bit? I know. <laughs> I'll join in. I'll fast with Muslims, but I'll do it so fucking badly that it's actually more offensive than if I hadn't done it at all. I mean, it's a serious, sombre religious process and you made it sound like a fatty diet. Just another thing about that, obviously now we've got the same screechy voices that wanted us to go down to lockdown straight away. Now want us to get out of lockdown really fast. Um, I mean, this was no surprise that this would happen, that it would be the same people, right? I I think that I've got an idea of of sort of left-wing columns to come for the rest of the year, right? I think that that for now, the left-wing columnists would be saying, uh, we went into lockdown too slow, right? Uh, And then it'll be, we came out of lockdown too slow. We're not coming out fast enough. Then it'll be, I miss lockdown. There'll be loads of articles like that. I miss lockdown. And then there'll be a period as we get towards... Um, the autumn where people want to stop thinking about coronavirus for a while so then it'll move on to brexit and it'll be like uh actually a no deal brexit would cost more lives than corona that's what they'll say right that's what they'll say and then it'll get to like december and it'll be boris hellbent on no deal brexit like definitely that's what he wants and then in january it'll be it'll be uh no deal would have been better than this deal right and then they'll be fucked. If public opinion is still with uh, Johnson and the Conservatives, I don't, I don't know where they're going to go from it. I think that they're just going to sit there bitching in the corner, um, chuntering. But anyway, listen, just before we get on the show, quick thank you and uh, fuck you. Uh, thank you. Thank you to plumbers, construction workers, manual workers, tradesmen everywhere. Who well, trades women too. Yeah, I don't, you know, like, I don't know how much of a percentage of something, something has to be before you start acknowledging it as... You know, like you have to go for a gender non-specific term. I get it with like postmen, right? You know, there's quite a lot of postwomen, firemen. I am, I'm, I'm yet to see that many women in the high vis wearing the hard hats. Sorry to any women out there that are working in that industry. I, I'm going to set a threshold of 10%. If someone can prove to me that 10% of construction workers and plumbers are women, then by all means. But thank you to those guys, you know, like for carrying on working. While we've all had that bit, like I say earlier about lockdown, where, no, actually, it's been it's been all right. You know, actually, it's been great to spend time with the kids, you know. Um, these guys have been out. And, and, and it has made you realise the value of certain jobs because if... Um, I, w- I would rather a plumber than a fucking IT project manager. Any day. Well, having said that, if, I, if my kid can watch Disney Plus at this moment. Okay, I'm not sure about this point now. I've completely gone back on my own... <laughs> my own theory um i oh we got the swear count from david domain this week hang on um so those of you that are new to the podcast i think you're sort of getting a flavor of where it comes from uh, as it is but i try and keep uh i keep tabs on how much i'm swearing and sorry i'm having to enter all my new passwords to the laptop now because that fucking guy scammed me cannot believe he got one over on me i'm always like lecturing my wife about stuff like this you know, it's always a good idea to lecture your wife as much as you can. Um, so this is the swear count for last week. This is the most varied swear count we've ever had. We had six fucks, one fuck, 12 fuckings, one arsehole, four piss, one prick, two shit, two shitties, two one shitheads. Now there's, there's a swear word that hasn't had enough out in recently. Shithead's a good one. Bullshit and a twat. Now, I, I that reminds me this week, um, I used a word with my son that I just suddenly realised was a word that's gone deeply out of fashion, which is ghoulies. 
Remember that? That was quite like um, it's quite a common way of referring to your plums, wasn't it? Yeah, he's right in the ghoulies, and that's gone. So he's now going to be this little weird eighties kid uh, at primary school talking about his ghoulies. Um, um, and then the fuck you this week. I feel like I've already done a couple in fairness, but it's left wing populists. I think I might try and talk about this in more detail in the next show because I think this is a bigger subject and I want to get it right. But on a simple level, right? Le- liberals and left wings they, they always associate populism with um, with the right. Okay, but they, they increasingly because they can't seem to get anywhere politically. Uh, they're victim to it themselves. And one of those is thinking that Boris planned his wife's pregnancy, like he induced her just to get a good headline. I, it's just, it amazes me like how much contempt and, and antipathy this man can inspire that people actually think. I mean, she's like, uh, I don't know much you know about Carrie Simmons. She's a really bright woman, do you know what I mean? She really like, she's got her own, she had her own life. She's very politically savvy. I just, I'm just trying to think of the moment when Boris comes up. Oh, yeah, the, you know. Uh, you know, if all my juice would be a few good headlines. I don't, I, I don't care. I don't care wh- what woman you are at that point. When you're at that stage of pregnancy, you aren't doing nothing <laughs> unless it makes total sense to you. So just what, just watch it. Like I know the left wingers that listen to this show are really cool, and they, you know, you're probably probably like me. You're embarrassed by these people, but there's so many other areas where where left wing and liberal populism has become a thing, you know, just thinking, you know, even from the herd immunity thing, which is still a scientific pro- concept, but people thinking, you know, they just, they want you to die. The government want you to die. The government want pensioners to die. Because since when, as a conservative government, relied on old people's votes? Anyway, let's get into the chat with Constantine. Okay, so now we're going to be chatting to Constantine, who's returning to the podcast. How you doing, mate? I'm good. Good to good to be back. Well, I've got you on because, as ever, you're you're making trouble. You got <laughs> you got this knack, mate. I don't know what it is of of pissing off uh, people. In, I, in... I, I enjoy it, mate. That's why I enjoy pissing people off. When I what, but not just for the sake of it. I enjoy p- pissing people off by saying what I think is the okay. Truth. So let's before we get into it, let, let's explain what happened. So I've already explained that you know I know that we don't want to get too Twitter centric, but if you could just explain the kind of things that you asserted in this thread of yours, and then we'll move on to how people reacted to it. Well, about two or three days ago now, I said on Twitter that I, I thought the journalists were not doing themselves any favours the way that they were acting, and I kind of laid out a few things that I thought a lot of the general public uh, didn't want them to do. I don't think we want them to ask gotcha questions. I don't think we particularly care if the government has changed their minds about something, because I think that... You know, if if the facts change in this kind of situation, you want the government to to change what they do, uh, and just a couple of general points like that about where I thought journalists were getting it wrong. Okay, so uh, yeah, obviously Twitter is, and the circles we move in is very journalistic central. It's, it's sort of driven by journalism to a point. So it's fair to say um, that this put the cat amongst the pigeons in terms of not all journalists, but certain ones of them reacted badly. And the one the one I really noticed was that it got. Like Emily Maitlis, who's probably one of the most senior, most kind of high-profile broadcasters in the country. What what happened in that exchange between you? Um, well, it was just to set it up. It was interesting that you mentioned it's not all journalists. Actually, I think one of the reasons that it went as big as it did is that several journalists retweeted it. Ian Dale, so, our friend, for one. 
Yeah, Ian Dell uh, and Majid Nawaz as well. So who's now, you know, you could say a journalist of some of, of a kind. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people obviously felt that it was there was something valuable in it. But yeah, Emily Maitlis, uh, I think she replied to Ian Dale, uh, and uh, she was saying that you know the reason that trust in journalists has has gone down could be because people think they're not being critical enough of the government. Uh, which... That's you know there, there there could be some truth in that. It doesn't I don't know I don't know I don't know if the optic. I mean what, one of the problems here is that the optic of journalists has been largely formed in the, in the public's mind by the daily presses, right? Mm. And this has been you know this this thing of them holding the government's feet to the fire every day. But but most I don't think many people are watching them as were originally. I sort of think it's a bit like you know one of those Netflix series that you start and you think I'm going to be into this forever. And then, and then you just, it's like Ozark. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We were, at the beginning, we were like, this will never not be fascinating. But during that time, they sort of nitpicked a bit. And I think that now there probably are more legitimate questions to be asked. But I wonder if they've sort of dashed their credibility in that early bit. Yeah, I think that's exactly what's happened, man. Like Game of Thrones was like that as well. Like season seven, you were just watching it to get it done, you know. You weren't really, <laughs> you weren't really enjoying it. Um, slightly, think... um, although they slightly under under reported the death toll numbers in the final assault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I think uh, you're right, and I actually know quite a lot of people, myself included, that do watch the daily press conferences until the journalists start asking questions, yeah. and then I'm quite tempted to switch off. Uh, but I, I think they probably have started to do better. Um, but I, I do think there was a kind of built-up resentment about the way that they were handling things. Uh, and the interesting thing always to me is, you know, like these people who think their job is to criticize everything and to, to ask questions of everything, they don't like it up. They don't like it when you criticize them even one bit, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, quite often criticism stings the most when it's accurate. And I think... That's kind of what happened. Now, I, I also think, you know, you don't want to tar all journalists with the same brush. They're not all the same. And you're right that, that we've got our impression of journalism for the last five weeks off like six people, yeah. you know. Um, but, but, but they are, like it or not, the face of their profession at the moment. Um, and, you know, I thought it was important to, to kind of try and communicate what I think a lot of ordinary people feel about it. And that seemed to have been, you know, a lot of ordinary people seem to agree with me and a lot of journalists seem to hate it. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, it's quite rare that, that uh, if people don't understand Twitter for it to do the kind of numbers um, that, that it did. I mean, I think one of the one of the issues, and this is this is a theory that I've got, and I sort of touched it last week, um, is that this happened very shortly after Brexit, right? So yeah. there was this long period uh, where journalists became a lot more famous than they would normally have been. Um, three and a half years, and, and at the very least, there was like forty-eight percent of people that were probably going to agree with them, maybe more. Like you know, so whatever you said, there was this ready-made audience. And then, when this crisis started, it was a different thing. And there was certainly polling in the early stages to suggest that support from even Labour voters was more squarely behind the government. You know, like wanting them to do a good job is a different feeling, isn't it? To to Brexit, but they, I, I sort of got the impression that they bought their Brexit game into like they sort of bought. A knife to a gunfight, you know what I mean? And then, and then yeah. they were kind of like, "Hang on, just a second. And also, maybe one, one of one of the things that Brexit proved when Boris got the deal, he pulled the rug from so many people, right? And it was embarrassing because these are smart people who their business is being smart, predicting things, being right, and suddenly they weren't right. There was this yeah. deal. The EU did move, and and that was only at the end of January. Mm-hmm. 
But do you think that people have brought their Brexit game to the yeah, to oh, the coronavirus? I had not realised that. And look, you and I are on different sides of it. You know, you voted leave, I voted remain because I'm a morally good person. Of course. Um, of course. Uh, but I kind of thought that the country was basically where the two of us are, which is we voted in a different way, but we both accept the reality that Brexit happened. Yeah. That's what people voted for. It's got to be done. You know, I, I was just happy that the whole fucking thing was over. Mm. You know? Well, a lot of the country were, yeah. Right, and, and I, I kind of thought that that's where everybody was. They were kind of in between me and you. That's what I thought. Yeah. But uh, but this experience with that particular conversation showed me that it's not over. Mm. And as you say, it's not consciously. I think a lot of these people have an unconscious rage that they, they can't really pin anything on Boris because, you know, with, with a more kind of evil-looking Tory like Theresa May... They could say, well, she hates the poor or she hates immigrants. They could make something up about her, you know, being racist and uh, mm. far right and whatever. Or if, you know, Farage, he's far right, according to all these people. But Boris Johnson, he's like a centrist liberal Tory. But that's the problem. I think that the, the, the perception in a lot of people would be the opposite, right? Even though, like, as you say, Theresa May, her home office policies as home yeah. secretary were, were, were fairly anti-immigrant, right? I would, I would reckon, if you ask your average liberal left person, who is more racist out of Boris Johnson, Theresa May, because of those articles, mm. um, they would, they would unequivocally come down a long way in Johnson. But it's, it's, it's um, a perception thing, and, and they're, they're gonna get confounded by his policies in the long run. I think, right. and I, yeah. I, I don't know where else they're left to turn. But it, it leaves, it leaves a lot of people on the liberal left scratching their heads as to why even recent, there was a poll uh, this week from Salvation that showed the Tories had gained two points and they don't understand it. I but this is my point, Jeff. Is This is exactly my point. So I think that, yeah, you're right. If you, if you ask people specifically who's more racist, you might get them going with Boris Johnson. But he doesn't feel like an evil person. You know, he, he's, not, he's not your Bond villain. Mm. He, he, he's like a bumbling fool kind of character. Yeah, the, the, the public have a rapport with him. Now, I, yeah, I've been... That, absolutely. I've been absolutely. unequivocal on the show. I was not, like, a, a Boris Johnson fan. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, in the uh, the Conservative leadership election, he wasn't my guy. I was... Uh, I didn't really... I was, I was more of a gove man. You know, I thought he was more yeah. of a clear thinker, maybe. Then, in the election, I had a lot of problems with that. But what's happening now, is this was always happening, when I see people being unreasonable, and they say, see people saying that, oh, Boris... Made he induced Carrie to have the baby, or or like, <laughs> or like the first time that he realised the NHS had any intrinsic value is when he was about to die, right? Yeah, Even yeah. though he'd already upspent and, and had already thrown money at it at the start of the virus, I just start to go like, you are not, you are not seeing and hearing the deeds and words of Boris Johnson objectively now. They're coming through. I hate Boris filter that's so loud that um, I don't think the rest of the public have that, and so this 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 connect between the liberal bubble which now knows it is a bubble but doesn't seem to be able to act any differently is, is getting ever wider still right and, and so this is my point on your brexit point is that they've they don't really have anything like tangible to use against him up until this point they couldn't say that he was you know abusing immigrants because his, his policies on immigration were actually pretty soft they couldn't say that he'd done anything wrong other than he was the guy that delivered Brexit. Mm. And I think that is why they all feel so desperate for him to fail at the moment is because they can then they can then legitimize their rage against him. 
what, what because do you they think... actually have a good excuse if he fails on, on the corona thing. What do you think their end game is, though? Because I've noticed that the Times, like the moment that Keir Starmer got in, the Times, have, have, they're not a Tory paper anymore, I- intrinsically. I think that they're obviously, they have conservative columnists, but you can't out and out say, like, they've really gone for the government. So what do you think the play is here? Is that, right, we've got Starmer, he's the kind of Blairite type figure that we like. Um, do, do we do think that, that we could... This government is in for five years with a big majority. Do people think that you can have another election? Do people think that you could somehow move public opinion to the point where we could reconsider Brexit? What, what do you think the long game is? Or is this just... Is this just um, they feel defeated and they, they want like return victories? They want to score a little... Yeah, I, I think that first and foremost, they want to explain to themselves why they feel so angry all the time, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I think that's probably a big part of it. But in terms of Starmer, I mean, one of the things that was very clear after the last election, which was only a few months ago, if you remember, um, was that, you know, the, the Conservative Party was going to be in power for, you know, a decade. Yeah. That was that was something that everybody, you know, anyone you talked yeah, to yeah. who knew anything about it, that's what they would say. The coronavirus and the lockdown and everything else it's a game changer in that it resets everything. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so I think some people feel like if, if, if you can stick enough mud to Johnson now, then maybe that decade gets trimmed down to five years. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, like, it's like long game. The same as with Labour with the financial crisis is that, is that you know, it happened in 2007-8. We knew the next election was in 2010. Yeah. And obviously, yeah, I mean, I suppose there's some sense in that. I suppose the the mitigating factors will be the fact that I think, you know, when when, when what, what's been really odd is seeing people that have always talked about expertise now questioning yeah. expertise, right? People have always talked about not using misleading numbers, now quoting death tolls without any mitigating circumstances. I think the thing is, right, and this is one of the things I thought was excellent in what you said, I think the, the other, we understand population density, right? Yeah. We understand population size, I mean, if you're saying like, you know, we've had more uh, coronavirus victims in Spain, it's like saying we've got more right-handed people than Spain. Like, I would, I would expect that. And you yeah. know, and then there's this issue of obesity because because NHS capacity hasn't been exceeded, right? So that means the people that are really ill are getting to hospital now. Yeah. If they're not making it, there's two reasons why that could be, right? One is that they weren't given the correct care, and is anyone going to say that about the NHS? I don't think they are. Right. So the second is, is that they were in a, a, a sort of physiological position going into it that meant that they were particularly susceptible. Am I missing something? Are there any other two reasons that could cause no, that? No, not really. And actually, you know, we, we banged on about ventilators for ages, if you remember. Do you know what the survival rate for someone going on a ventilator is? Um, I don't know. It's 9%. Fucking hell. So basically, if you go on a ventilator, you are in a very bad place already. You know, yeah, and we haven't used nearly all the capacity, which is look, that's a good thing. You want to have over capacity, um, but yeah, I, I think you know, I, I've made that point repeatedly. We are the fattest nation in Europe, so you would expect us to have a pretty, pretty significant rate because uh, it's not just you know, fat shaming, being overweight is one of the two comorbidities, age and weight are the two factors that primarily determine how exposed you are to this. Maybe. I mean, like, you've seen my tour show probably more than you'd have liked, but the... <laughs> is, is I do have a section on it about, like, the government... I had this section before about the government do should do sort of fat shamey adverts because... Mm. The the point the point is is right we have had a, a campaign around obesity and it's done nothing because it essentially tries to tease people into good behaviours. I mean one of the 
the, the things that coronavirus has taught us, right, is that, one, I'm happy for government to broadly stay out of people's business as much as possible. If you are going to get involved, scare the shit out of them, right? Because otherwise, what's the point? What's the point yeah. in spending money on an ad campaign if you don't go? If you're overweight for a long time, you're probably going to die younger. Like, if you're not direct about that, what's the fucking point? At the moment, they've got this advert, or they had one, with this little plasticine family pissing about, you know, cutting down their portion sizes... I don't think that's. I don't think a weird little episode of Morph is gonna is gonna move the argument too much. What, what do you think? I mean, I, I, I'm not sure actually how libertarian you are. What do you think the government should do on obesity? I actually think one of the things we'll probably find that, uh, as as we've all found during this lockdown is yeah. that obesity isn't down just to how much you eat. It's also the fact that you don't exercise. Um, as, as eat less, less move more. Right, so I think one of the biggest things is actually encouraging people to live active, active lifestyles. Uh, but I also think, yeah, I mean, look, we, we've got so we've got all these fucking fat activists and body positivity, healthy at any size bullshit, which yeah. want to believe that you know fat isn't bad for you. Actually, it's terrible for you. It, you know, so telling people that, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But uh, I think it's more about encouraging people to live overall healthy lifestyles. And actually, that's one of the potential positives of the lockdown. It, it, it's made a lot of people question: you know, how much do you commute? You know, what? You know, are you yeah, living yeah, too yeah. busy a life? Like I've definitely feel like I've been doing that, and I think a lot of people will as well. I, so, I think on the exercise front, I think you're totally right. Like when I go and walk the dog in the morning, the amount of uh, 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 amateur joggers I'm seeing, and the look on their faces, like they're not they're not jogging for fun. <laughs> <laughs> they're jogging because they've been reading the news. <laughs> the the jogging for life, yeah. Yeah, mate. Uh, it just you see the like the fear in their eyes. This one guy, and especially if they're a bloke, right? Because obviously, if you're a bloke and you're over sixty and you're 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 fat, yeah. like you're definitely like the fact has gone up. And this one guy, like he had head down and he was running towards me, and then he saw uh, me and I had my kid with me, and like he already so obviously all his alarms are going off already, and then he sees because at the beginning of this we sort of thought the kids were the means by which this would be transmitted by some weird yeah. kind of jump scare horror film. <laughs> and then he looked up, he saw me and my kid, and he just like literally like hopped to the side. Okay, hope you're enjoying the chat with my man Constantine there. Just a quick uh, hype. The Patreon, again, like I say, this show is only happening this week because of our wonderful Patreons. Let's give a shout out to some uh, middle tier guys. Um, Jessica Baldry, Simon Brooks, James Harker, and Barry Carter. Um, thank you all for your support. I am still, as as we stand, planning to go on tour um, in September, and I think uh, I think it'll go ahead. I think things will change quite quickly. You know, let, let's be honest. A couple of my venues, you can socially distance as much as you want. <laughs> There's a couple. You know, actually, I think the ones left are, are pretty. Um, well sold but um, but yeah the government they've got this issue now because they were kind of like you should be scared and everyone's like oh we're scared and then they're like you should unscare yourself you're like man that's gonna take a while but listen man thank you to the patrons thank you to anybody you know downloaded uh, remember to subscribe to this one as well rate it recommend it much appreciated uh, let's get back to the chat with constantine here's another thing as well constantine i think that like we have lost sight of how lethal this is Right. So people talk about like the reason that a lot of people are fearful of lockdown ending is because I think a lot of people have now got it into their heads. That if you get Corona, you'll probably die. I think that's where a lot of people's heads are. 
<laughs> so, and it's a tricky one for the government, who I think that were arguably too successful in their original messaging, is now they've got to unpick that. How the yeah. hell do you unpick that? Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? The late, I think probably they overreacted, to be honest with you, mate. Um, you know what? Just... But, but that's what you want them to do. It's like, you know, if, if, if you're a prime minister and the, your advisor comes in and goes, oh, Godzilla is coming, you're not going to go, oh, maybe he's not hungry. You know, like you have to yeah. you have to go for it, right? Or and you I just think... go or call for Godzuki, effectively, <laughs> politically. You're yeah. calling for King Kong to fight Godzilla. Right, <laughs> right, right, and and then you've you've done all that, and you know obviously people are going to be concerned, but I also think that we we're starting to see that it's not nearly as deadly a disease as we thought, and also we don't know how many people have had it. Like I, I'm yeah. pretty sure I've had it. I suspect you probably had it. I know a lot of people who think they've had it, mm. uh, and never got tested. So so this is the interesting thing: is so much of like your assessment of of what this is and how the government reacted is going to be based on quite long-term trends and i think when we come back to like, sort of linking it to the journalism thing and the sort of political direction of traffic on twitter is there's a certain indecency about jumping to decide how this has been from country to country because it's totally. it's literally not true i mean you take new zealand for example that have effectively shut the virus out of their country and in in the context of that done it really well if there's no vaccine for a while new zealand have two choices which is one to carry on living like this in perpetuity or to have their effectively their first wave of it. Now, it might work in the end. There might be a vaccine for them. But most vaccines, working vaccines, seem to take 18 months, right? Yeah. So we, we clearly, we're, we're maybe just getting towards the the, the end of the beginning of this it's globally. That. Yeah. It's that. And yeah. the truth is, we won't know what the right decision was until probably about two years from now. Yeah. And even then, all the data is going to be up for debate, up for discussion and whatever. So that's why I try not to, I, I don't think, the, I, when I say the government overreacted, I think they should have overreacted. I think they were right to do that. And broadly speaking, I'm supportive of whatever it is that they're doing as long as I don't feel that they're being irresponsible. Because the truth is, we have absolutely no idea what the right decision would be. Yeah. And, you know, the, the comparisons that people make, with you, you make a very good point about New Zealand, but people forget that they have a totally different population density, you know, totally, like, it's a different place entirely. So mm. the, the comparing countries is totally useless. And, you know, Belgium supposedly are doing really badly out of this, but they, they, they're counting the deaths differently and stuff. So it's and this, just... is, this is another point about the count of the deaths, is that, is that the most countries, I think France, Belgium, England, uh, sorry, the UK and Ireland are counting care home deaths, right? Mm. Most of the others aren't, right? Including Italy, yeah. Spain, and we'll get on to Russia in a while, your dodgy fucking <laughs> compatriots. Um, like... So, so again, like even the simple, even if you just took it on the death toll at this point in time, it's not accurate, and it's just it's just playing fast um, and loose with numbers, and and I, I do wonder if it's one of these these stories, like you say. I mean, it's simply what you said there about like uh, you know I want to support the government. I think that we we sort of forgot that that can be a state of mind. There's this is automatic automatic anti-establishment. View that, that sometimes is ignorant of circumstance. Like I think the, the the sensible thing to me seems to be support the government in the short term, question in the mean, mean medium term, and if if so, react in the long term. You know, right. And I, I also don't think that you know a lot of journalists have given themselves this idea that by by being nasty and harassing ministers, they're they're making they're making their decisions better. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if being constantly questioned on every single thing that you do makes you 
better at making decisions. I don't think, you know, having to have sleepless nights over how you're going to deal with Piers I mean, this is at one 6 a.m. tomorrow, I don't think that makes you a better minister. I, I think that, like, rolling news, I mean, we've often spoke about, uh, uh, like, the corrosive effects of social media in this country. I think rolling news was the precursor and arguably the bigger thing because there has to be news now. There has to be. There has to be new developments and things all the time for the sake of balance. Some of the, the, the junior ministers that the Tories are putting up, absolute dog shit. Like, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. oh, fair respect, but I think that they've been over-promoted. And I, th- I think, honestly, I think some of that is because Cummins and Johnson, they have a radical plan for the country, but they need pliable young ministers. Fine, it might be that their end purpose was good, but my God, there's been some car crashes. Yeah, well, they've had to they've had to get rid of all the big beasts who didn't agree with Boris, and they you kind of had to yeah, have a purge. It's like know. the Soviet army at the beginning of World War Two, mate. That's what's happening here. But like, I don't know, like you know, with like a Penny Morden, someone like that. She's a really good politician. She's yeah. liked on both sides of the house. She's a good communicator. And I think that why why is Penny Morden not not in the mix? I don't I don't understand. You know, she was supportive um, on on Brexit. I I I just think you know, Rishi Sunak aside. Yeah, because Rishi Sunak has been a uh, breakout star of the coronavirus. You know, like it's like it's like he's in one of those films. You know, like it was film someone does like Tiffany Haddish in like Girls' Night or something. Like, yeah, he, he's the breakout star of this. But um, beyond that, uh, Matt Hancock. Some people think he's done a really good job. Some people think that like he. I mean, we, we get that. Might brings us neatly to the testing. I mean, like the arguments over those numbers have been one of the most fucking foul things I've ever seen the bottom line is right so this is the way I see it government go we've hit more than 100,000 right Twitter goes uh, actually it's 77,000 public goes only and is this a classic Cummins play this is classic Dom get them talking about the number because now we all know that it's gone up a lot right yeah yeah I think so and I also think look it's one of those things that I said in my tweet the public don't care if it's 100,000 or 99,000 or whatever it is. The, the, the general public are not obsessed with these targets. I really don't think they are. It's like a game that journalists play with politicians and politicians play with, play with journalists. I don't think it really, um, don't really registers with ordinary people, to be honest with you. Uh, so I think this it registers what... with you if you want the government to be evil and it registers with you if you're like, oh, go Boris. But everyone else who's in, in between that, the 85% of us are in between those two positions, we're just like, well, we, we hope the government are doing their best. We understand that in a difficult crisis like this, they're going to make mistakes. They're not going to get everything right. Um, and we just hope they're doing the best because that's really all you can do. But like, let me then now adopt the role of the interrogative journalist. Okay, you you can, and this is this is basically picking up on some of the reactions to the tweet. You keep saying the public. Mm. What gives you an insight into speaking on behalf of the majority of Britain? How do you know what the public think? Because everyone who's smart agrees with me, mate. That's just that's just how it works. Uh, but I, look, uh, I don't claim to speak on behalf of the public. I claim to say what I think, and to the, the public agree with a lot of that. And uh, well, that, I mean, mate, mate, you're the, on the podcast. Call what most people think. I literally claim that everything I say is podcast. <laughs> so no, I I I, I agree. No, I think... I, I'll give you an answer uh, that I think is is fair to to what you say. So the first thing is, I don't claim that everything I believe the public agree with, but when I put something out there and it gets a strong response, then I'm like, well, this is a thing that the public... It's like, it's like if I did that tweet and like three people retweeted it, Yeah. I, pro- I probably wouldn't feel justified in saying the public think this, right? But it gets a lot of response. And, you know, on my show as well, we, we have like 
over 100,000 subscribers that, that this is a trigonometry on YouTube, yeah, which I, I recommend on. everybody to check out. So we, we talk to our, our, our listeners and viewers all the time. So I'm getting constant feedback from people about mm. where the country is. And, and our audience is very mixed, you know, on any issue. It's kind of half and half on both sides. So you get you, you get like Nazis and fascists, right? Exactly, exactly. Just the full range of the far right. Um, so I, I kind of feel like I, I, on some issues, I'm probably totally out of touch with ordinary people. But I think on a lot of these issues, I am in touch. And particularly on that issue, there was quite a lot of polling done that was backing up what I was saying. So I felt pretty comfortable. Well, because what happened was that the, the, the first polling suggested like that the public faith in, in journalists was, was a really bad. And then there was another one which kind of brought it in better, but still way comfortably under 50%. And that seemed to be paraded as, as an example. I mean, I suppose the one thing it did su suggest was that it hadn't got a lot worse during the coronavirus. Is what? Yeah. So, but what what I, what I took that to mean was that that it was a view of a corroborate an aggregate of what had happened during Brexit and the coronavirus. So it seemed to me to suggest that both processes had eroded public faith in journalism. And I, I by it, public faith, I mean like, are you giving me an objective view of the story, whether right. you're pro Brexit or anti Brexit? Are you using an agenda? Is the agenda your prism through which you tell me stuff? Right. And it seems like with, with journalists, the, the ones we see in the press conferences at least, the, the agenda is undeniably to undermine the government and to make them look bad. Right. Mm. I don't think that should be the, the objective of journalists. If their objective, their job should be to report the facts about what the government is doing. And then it's the job of the opposition... Uh, and opinion journalism to then come in and criticize whatever's happening. I don't think it's the job of that particular person sitting in that room to attempt to make every minister look as bad as possible. You know, and uh, speaking maybe of... Piers Morgan has a legitimate you know, niche to be doing that. Uh, but I don't think the people who are you know, representing BBC, Sky News or whatever in that press conference need to necessarily always try and make it um, that way. And actually, I think since then, they've probably... You know, I think I changed the course of history in this country. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they have seemed to get better in the last. I, I, I think that that's. Uh, I think that survey was a shot across the bows, and as defensive yeah. as they were, like because there was that that they had like a one day inquisition into themselves, and then the report finding was that everything's actually fine, and they should carry on doing exactly what they're doing. But no one wants to be unpopular, right? No. That's the thing. And no one. And also, the truth is, is that if you're losing your credibility, you lose. If your desire is to influence and shape opinion, if you're losing that platform, there's no point carrying on as you were. Now, this is something that the left have grappled with over the last few years and haven't really come to any successes. Is that they don't realise that success... I mean, it's so fucking obvious, it's ridiculous, but that success on social media equates to, to success outside of it. I'd, I'd argue it's different with your tweet because for essentially something that contained essentially a pro-establishment sentiment to yeah. do that well on Twitter is remarkable really we all know that if you do something anti-Brexit or anti-Tory it's much easier to get traction but yeah. broadly speaking I mean I, how often do you have to keep saying Twitter is, isn't Britain how often it's, it's I, I don't now I used to get worried because obviously I have my biases and I'd see something sort of like gaining traction on Twitter and then I'd get worried but now I just don't take it very seriously I see it as a good gauge of Twitter but nothing outside of that. Why can't yeah. they get their head around that, Constantine? Why? Well, because it feels good, doesn't it? It feels good to get all those retweets and those clicks yeah. and those views, and 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 it's it's very comforting. And I think 
uh, one of the things, as I said, about the, the, the lockdown and the coronavirus is it will reset people's memories. Like we've all had them wiped clean to some extent. Yeah. And I think that will mean they forget even more the lessons of the last election. You know, the lesson of the last election was you, 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 were, you banged on about how great Corbyn is. You banged on about all, you know, how all your lefty, lovey stuff. And the country just isn't there. And, and mm. no matter how many clicks and retweets you get for your stupid videos on Twitter, that's not where the public is. Uh, and I think actually we'll probably go back to that even more than we had before because they'll just forget. Well, I think that one that is one of the effects of, of the, that election and coronavirus is a reminder that certain old, that long-standing things are really important. You know, like with elections, it's knocking on doors. Um, with coronavirus and the election, it's not knocking on doors. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Listen, mate. With that great gag, we'll leave it there. Um, the so people can follow you on Twitter, Constantine Kistin. You've got the uh, Trigonometry channel, which has got lots of really great, challenging interviews with really interesting political thinkers. Uh, anything you'd, else you'd like to plug, mate? Any? No, that's it, mate. That's it. Yeah, we've done a couple of interviews with you for Trigonometry, yeah. one just before the corona episode started. So if people want to have a bit more of you and a laugh about this whole thing... Yeah, that was a funny chat. pretty well out of it, I have to say. We've had some other guests that, that we talked to just before the lockdown and what they were saying totally didn't turn out to be in any way accurate. But with you, it was pretty good. Mate, so, mate, it's because I always put disclaimers in to everything I say. <laughs> I say, look, and I'm, I'm sure this could change over time. And uh, all right, let, let's both make a big prediction to end this. I think that all right, this is just just totally spitballing here. There'll be no second spike, uh, <laughs> and um, we will by the end of the year. Right, this is what's going to happen. This was going by the end of the year. Uh, Brexit will, will once again. This would this will seem like an odd period where we overreacted. That's what I think. Mm. Um, we'll be saying. I think I think that the the annual death toll won't be that different and we'll all be like okay maybe we slightly overreacted yeah that's interesting i i suspect that there will not be a second spike in because they will simply lock it down before letting that happen yeah uh, so i think we will be in a state of semi-permanent lockdown for at least six months where they're trying to keep it at the level that we've got now, basically, by having lots of social distancing and all kinds of So did you, did you, so I take that to me, so what I think you're saying is that we'll definitely be okay for people to come to Jeff's tour shows in September. <laughs> Mate, I've got to be honest with you, I don't think there's going to be much, much... Okay, Constantine kissing, it's been lovely. <laughs> Listen, man, thanks very much for coming on. Thanks, mate. Bye. Okay, so there we have it. Brilliant chat with Constantine. Thank you again to him, uh, having him on the show. If you give him a follow on Twitter, he's an interesting guy. You know, he's got a lot to say. He does wind people up, and um, you love to see it. <laughs> um, so I am going to go to the letters now. We've got letters. What have we got? Um, there's just a couple of layers this week. What is left wing about? This is from Gary. I've sort of tried to para, um, paraphrase what he's saying here, but he's basically saying that environment. How have environmentalists become left wing political parties? Surely, uh, caring about or worrying about the future environment is something that cuts across both political divides. Oh yeah, I, I would uh, agree with you there. But it's like most things, isn't it, in the culture war? The, the Green Party aren't just motivated, are they, by having a better environment. Otherwise, they'd have more sensible policies, wouldn't they? They don't really want power. They're just like, 
what are what are the Tories saying? What are Labour saying? What they'll have be carbon neutral? What uh, fifty years? What sorry, thirty years? Ten years? We'll go five. We'll go five. We've got to look radical, haven't we? <laughs> you know what I mean? Fuck it. Say two. I don't give a shit. Kids like that, don't they? Just say two. Two, or we are gonna die. Show a picture of a skinny fucking polar bear <laughs> or something, right? Um, do you remember that picture of the polar bear, the one that um, the polar bear like in the middle of the sea and it was just swimming and it was it was a really impactful photo and it was saying this is what we've done, this is humans with our greed. And look, I'm not saying that the a lot of ice isn't melting, but it turns out that it's perfectly natural for a polar bear to swim in open water. And you just thought, I bet the way that photo was framed, there was like two big foxes, glacier fucking things for him to stand on either side uh, of it. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, that you, if you can, the whole point about like, if the environment is as doomed as people are saying, then so is capitalism, right? So there's plenty of rich people that don't want this to interrupt the normal order of things, right? Because they've got good lives and they want it, they want to keep it like that. So, um, so yeah, I do think that, I, I think the answer to the question you know why? Why the why is environmentalism left wing? I think it's just left a certain branch of the left latching onto a different issue. You certainly look at you know the things that Caroline Lucas cares about. You know it's just, it's just they're just kind of like the green wing of the Labour Party, right? Maybe the Labour Party that's only the only way they could get a majority is by start pulling back. They'll just start absorbing like aggressive buyouts of the Greens and the Lib Dems and Plaid, you know, just to get any chance of power, but. But yeah, you're right. It's not, shouldn't be a left or right issue, essentially. But let's be honest, most, a lot of right wingers, we do have that instinct with environmental issues. I have it too, where I just go, oh, fuck off. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm not proud of it, like, but sometimes you just, oh, shit. Because the problem is, it's another way of being preached to, isn't it? That's the problem, is it might be a legitimate thing. But when everyone else is telling you what to eat, how to live, where to go, what to say, then you've got these other people going, and stop driving. You're like, fucking do one. I'm going to drive. So this uh, next letter is from, and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep the name anonymous here. I think you'll understand in a while because it's to do with the NHS clapping at eight pm on a Thursday. My son actually, because normally we put him to bed at half seven, right? And yeah, I know it's early, but we need his life. And he um, he was like, oh, I want to clap for the NHS. Oh fucking, hell, it's gonna be a lefty, isn't he? Anyway, so we let him stay up, and um, he he stood there. He got bored of it so quickly. I mean, if any, like the problem is, is there's not many people on my street that know who I am, but there are a couple, right? And that wasn't a good look. We're standing there clapping and my son was just after him about half an hour just to fucks off. You know what I mean? Then me and my wife trailed off after him. It's like, <laughs> it sort of represented how much of a shit we give about the NHS. You know, we don't, it's not we don't give a shit. We just give so much of a shit. And speaking of that, uh, so this letter is in his street, this guy's street. Well, let's, call, let's give him a fake name, Andy. Let's call him Andy. In his street, uh, I'm not going to name the street, but they have a big sing. Somebody put something through the door that said Thursday the 8pm after the NHS clap, um, whether you're a shower singer, a confidence singer, or think you can't sing, we would love to hear your voice. As we say, I'm not going to name that name, but we sing the classic Lean On Me. <laughs> oh, my God. So, <coughs> Andy, what... Oh, my God. Andy wants... Uh, Andy wants to know if he's a if he's a cunt basically for not wanting to be involved. In this Andy, you're not. You're a human being, man. Not only do they want a choral sing along of "Lean on Me," they want to do um, the call and response on the bit that says, "So just call on me, brother, when you need a hand." Response: We all need 
somebody to lean on. Cool. I just might have a problem that you'd understand. Rest of street, we all need somebody to lean on. That is, I mean, like, God, sorry, I've shocked people by singing there. You'll probably go, oh, this is a funny, why is, he, why is he singing? Sorry about that. I just wanted to give you an idea of how that would work in practice. How bad that was for you to listen to me singing that. That was nowhere near as bad as the shame. The shame that anyone that involved themselves in this felt. Basically, I'm going to have a guess here that there's somebody in the street that really likes singing. And they really want to show that. Right, and then they'd probably go into like some long solo, like they were singing the Star Spangled Banner at the beginning of a baseball match. Andy, codename Andy, do not ever involve yourself in this and report it. Keep reporting it. This is we don't, we can't let Britain become like this. This sentimental. I don't know what to say about that. It is what it is. We've all gone a bit mad. Okay, so that is uh, the end of the show on that shocking... I'm sorry, I'm still reeling from the NHS sing-along Lean On Me thing. I, mean, I think I might need to go and have a lie-down. Or maybe lean on someone. Just mad, have a problem. Just picture it. Picture what's going on there in your street. Imagine that in your street. Let's not let that filth pollute Britain. Uh, we're going to do some shout-outs here for, uh, for some free pound Patreons. Steve Ibrox Rocks, Rangers fan, I'm presuming. Um, Johari Ismail. And Rachel N, thank you for helping support this podcast, which wouldn't have happened if we weren't here today. I've just opened up my iTunes to check the iTunes reviews, and there's nothing on my iTunes, which is uh, it's a little bit worrying, but I'm, I'm going to deal with that, that worry in real time. I might be getting scammed at this point, but I think it's really, rather than, um, you know, see if my bank account's being drained, I think it's really important to read out the five-star reviews I've had from my podcast recently. So let's see what's knocking about. Uh, in the review inbox, we got um, Dorset Stevo. Uh, gives me a chance to do a great West West Country accent. Um, great podcast. Got into this a couple of months ago, and I've listened to all the episodes now. Jeff genuinely says what most people think. Also introduced me to some excellent comedians, e.g., uh, Constantine Kissing and the excellent Dominic Frisbee. Keep up the good work, Jeff. We had Constantine again, a returning guest there. I'm not saying that the panel of uh, contrarian comedians is small, but we this. <laughs> This ain't been going much more than a year. We've had two guests back twice. Uh, this is from Hammer Chill, a great podcast. This is from Ryan Ponder. Hmm, Ryan, Jeff really captures the right-leaning, well-meaning zeitgeist. As a fellow working... Oh, I've got to change the accent. As a fellow working-class aspirational conservative, Jeff's observations are bang on the money. And it's great to have someone representing our views. Often hilarious and always funny, Jeff also comes across as a lovely bloke. Thanks, mate. Thank you. It's been a long lockdown. I must confess to ripping off some of his lines when talking with my mostly left-leaning London liberal sort of work colleagues. That's the idea, Ryan. Do you know what I mean? That is the idea. Rip off my lines. That's the whole point. Just give him a little fucking... Just give him a little curveball in there. It's not, it's not going to make him change their views, but it certainly means that they'll have to reconsider some of the more cliched ones. So listen, I'm, I'm going gonna, uh, gonna to I'm have to dive because I've, I've probably, I've got to check my um, my credit card now. I've probably got no money at all now, but I think it was, I think it was worth it. And look, this is weird. This is, this is the darkest hour. Okay. This week was the hardest week. Okay. Next week is going to start getting easier, right? It's going to start, it's going to get easier. Is it going to get, is it going to get easier? T- tell me it's going to get easier. Please email what most people think UK at gmail.com and start all the emails with the words, this is definitely going to get easier. It, it must get easier, for God's sake. There's no way it could carry on like this. Oh, 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 oh.
Dungeon. Thank you.